Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He was extraordinary at simplifying the complex, but more than that, he had this innate ability to get us all to be the best versions of ourselves. So 30 years later, the Jimbo Coverts, the Mark Mays, the Bill Fralicks, the Russ Grimms, the Stepnowskis, uh, Andy Heck, who's now the offensive line coach to the world champion Kansas City Chiefs, we all still tell stories about the way that he impacted us. On today's podcast, we sit down with Aaron Taylor to learn more about the Joe Moore Award, the only college football award that honors a group instead of an individual. Aaron Taylor played for Joe Moore at the University of Notre Dame, where he was a two-time All-American. A first-round pick in the 1994 NFL Draft, he played professionally for the Green Bay Packers and the San Diego Chargers. Taylor currently works as a college football analyst and television sportscaster and he is the founder of the Joe Moore Award. Aaron shares all the details behind this award, and we learn through hearing about Joe Moore and his methods what elite coaching that makes an impact looks like. Whether you are an offensive line coach or not, there's plenty to take away about what it takes to be an impactful coach in this episode. What you see on tape is a direct reflection of what you teach and how you teach. Video is important, but if you don't teach well, you're not going to like what you see on your video. First Down Playbook has been helping coaches teach better for 13 years. It allows you to present installs, playbooks, and practice cards in half the time with NFL quality. Coaching tools like video pairing, a player app, practice schedules, and wristband sheets have made First Down Playbook a program management system with everything in one place. If you're in a position of leadership with your football program, receive a free one-week look at First Down Playbook. Call them at 512-814-6158 or visit them on their website or social media. Mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code COACH24 to receive a $100 discount off the normal $700 First Down Playbook team membership price. Links and the phone number are in the show notes. On today's podcast, we're joined by the founder of the Joe Moore Award, a six-year NFL professional, Super Bowl champion, offensive lineman, Aaron Taylor. Aaron, it's great to have you here on the podcast and to be talking about the Joe Moore Award. 
Keith, thank you for having me, man. I love your podcast and what you do and the guests that you get. So this is a fun opportunity for me to add to the mix. Yeah, I think what you're doing in, in this award is really interesting. And I'd say this, the detail after I've learned about it from you that goes into it is amazing. And we're going to dig into that all today. But I want to start at the beginning of this award and how this all came together. So what was the inspiration to say, hey, we got to do this. We got to have the Joe Moore Award and honor the best college offensive line. Yeah, well, Keith, to tell that story, we have to start with the award's namesake, and that was my offensive line coach at Notre Dame, Joe Moore. Joe Moore sent 52 guys to the NFL over 18 seasons, most notably at Pitt and Notre Dame. And while at Notre Dame, never had a senior starter that didn't go on to the NFL in some capacity, myself included. So, I mean, it's a who's who, almost three guys per year off of every unit he coached at least had a cup of coffee in the NFL. He was extraordinary at simplifying the complex. But more than that, he had this innate ability to get us all to be the best versions of ourselves. So 30 years later, the Jimbo Coverts, the Mark Mays, the Bill Fralicks, the Russ Grimms, the Stepnowskis, uh, Andy Heck, who's now the offensive line coach to the world champion Kansas City Chiefs, we all still tell stories about the way that he impacted us. So that was the start of the origin of wanting to find a way to celebrate not just our position, but the principles of teamwork and toughness that he demanded from us that is so important to the way that we play our game. As much as it's changed, it's still a game of blocking and tackling. And for us, that starts up front. So back in 2014, I guess, his sons in Pittsburgh have the Joe Morrow line camp. And I'm invited every year, and it's basically a big reunion, a lot of beer and pizza, as you can imagine. And for one reason or another, I just couldn't get out there. So I committed for the 2015 year, and I said, come hell or high water, I'm going to be there. And while I was talking with his son, James, I said, hey, didn't Kirk Ferentz, who's now Iowa's head coach and played high school football underneath Joe Moore in, in Pennsylvania, I said, didn't Kirk try to do something about an award for Coach Moore? And he said, yeah, it was like 10 years ago, but it kind of fell through. And, man, I got some energy around that. So it was really just an idea. But that phone call took place on June 7th in 2015. So I started doing some research, and I was thinking about, man, should we do an O-line Coach of the Year award? Should we do a position award with the Remington and the Outland and the Lombardi it felt kind of redundant, but as the conversation went on, it really started to expand about the room and the guys, and there was no difference between walk-ons or All-Americans. If you were in that room, you were one of us, and we were you know, teammates, so that celebration of that was really where the idea came to be because I went on the ESPN's website. I looked at all the awards, and every single one was an individual award, and boom, that's when the light bulb struck. I said the consummate team position and the consummate team sport needs to celebrate the entire unit, tackle to tackle. And that day was the, the day that the Joe Moore Award was born. But beyond that, December 20th of that same year, so less than 200 days later, we rolled in a seven-foot tall, six-foot wide, three-foot deep, 
trophy in the Alabama's meeting room and presented them as the inaugural winner. And that was the great year with Derrick Henry, the year that he won the Heisman Trophy, that great offensive line with Cam Robinson and all those guys that were up front. And they went on to win the national championship. But it went from idea to the most unique college football award in the history of our sport in about 200 days. And we haven't stopped or slowed down since. As you said, the namesake is a very important part of this, and you certainly gave us a peek into some of those reasons why. But I want to dig into really what made Joe Moore a special coach. You've had a ton of coaches over your playing career, having played at the highest level. But for you guys, for other guys, the way Joe did it really impacted their lives, right? Something that they took away, as you said, when you get together at that camp, then everything now that really is built around this award, what really shines through is this is the impact of a coach. So thinking of that, the impact of a coach and coach more, what things come to mind? Yeah, so I think first and foremost, as I've kind of dug into this and had a chance to reflect on my own journey and just talking with the guys over the last 20 years, one of the elements that I believe is underappreciated that's really the secret to his success with us was it started with belief. And first, he believed in us. Then we believed in his belief. And then ultimately, we believed in ourselves. And that's when our opponents had problems. And the way that we developed that belief was through a strict adherence to the fundamentals, the basics, over and over and over. Joe's dad, when he was growing up, was a baseball coach, and that was, you know, Joe's first sport that he played. And his dad would make him go into the backyard and get in the batting cage and, you know, take a thousand cracks at the balls that were getting thrown. And when Coach Moore got his first high school job and had never coached O-line before, he asked his dad's advice, and he said, just tell them to aim their pads the way that I taught you to aim your bat. So just things like landmarks and first steps and how important that is, because if your first step in your landmark isn't correct, then you're spending the rest of the block trying to make up for what didn't start off right. So Coach Moore, over and over and over through repetition, 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 drilled the basics into us over and over. And it wasn't that we would rep it until we could get it right. It was we repped it until we couldn't get it wrong. Well, as a coach, as a father who's trying to elicit certain behaviors from my kids, it's not easy. And the burden of being able to take that responsibility to ensure that the standard is met and held and exceeded by your players was something he was masterful at. I never hit a sled at any time that I was at Notre Dame. We did base blocks, and what he called it was get ready for batting practice. And we would take 50 or 60 base blocks back blocks, double teams, aces, B blocks, whatever it was over and over and over to where we would get out to the game and it would be easy. But it started with belief and that belief was delivered through repetition and this almost inordinate adherence and commitment to doing the fundamentals and the basics over and over and over. In my opinion, he was masterful at simplifying the complex and that's why he sent so many people into the college and NFL Pro Football Hall of Fames. Amazing list of names. You just rattled off there, and there's many, many more. Now that's become something that you guys are awarding to the top college offensive line. Now that in and of itself becomes an exhausting 
process, especially the way you guys do it. It's not as simple as, oh, we're just looking to see statistically. We'll look at the stats this week, who gave up the least sacks, who had the most rush yardage. You guys watch film. You have a committee. You dig into this. So talk to us first about all the other people involved in this, that team, that committee that's going to sit down and look at this weekly as the season rolls on. Yeah, it's a bear. There's nothing about the O-line position that's easy, and that includes, you know, drilling through the tape to be able to find uh, the units that embody the award criteria. And the way that we found the criteria and to list them out, their toughness, effort, teamwork, technique, consistency, and finishing. In year one, I sent out a poll to 800-plus years of O-line playing and coaching experience, and I said, give me the top three characteristics of the best lines you played on or were able to observe or coach. And it came back as this huge word cloud, but the essence of them were those six, toughness, effort, teamwork, technique, consistency, and finishing. So to your point, Keith, there's no way to go look at stats. There's no highlights that are there. We've, for years, wanted to put out a watch list of the preseason and put all 131 teams on there because there's simply no other way for us to know how units are performing without us going to watch the tape. So what I figured out early on was that we needed a lot of eyeballs, and we had 13 guys from around the country, and these are you know, guys that played or coached the O-line position. Cole Kublik, who's the lead analyst for the SEC Network. Jeff Schwartz, whose brother Mitchell played in the NFL, and Jeff played forever. He's now on Sirius and does a bunch of stuff on Fox. Mike Golick Jr. played for Harry Heastand at Notre Dame and was limited athletically, but still following the Moore method was able to you know have a couple years in the NFL, these are the people that played or coached the position. Duke Miniweather, who's now training a lot of the rookies and pro guys at his facility down in Dallas and created O-line masterminds. These are the guys that are grinding and watching tape anyway, and that's the only way that we can do it. So we try to separate it out by region, and then we have a process where we start to cross-check because we all have our biases. That was something that kind of came up through the process, so we needed a way to control it. We get on the horn every other week. In the first two or three years, we got on the, the horn every week for two hours and talked about what it is we saw, shared notes. And that's how Western Michigan gets on the radar. That's how an Air Force gets on the radar. I mean, there's some incredible efforts and some incredible units. But the only way to find them is to dig into the film and watch it. So it's an inordinate amount of time. And I'll be honest, I had no idea how much work this was going to be when we set out to do it. But now that the elephant shot, we sit down and every fall start chewing through it one game, one unit at a time. It doesn't take long to watch uh, a unit on triple cut, right? You're watching all 22 in high end zone to get a sense of what they do well and whether or not it makes sense to continue watching. So we take into account who their opponents are, what part of the season it is, our observation over the last seven years, is that it takes till about week five or six for the cream to start to rise for the top for those units that are comprised of five different individual guys to start to gel and to become one. So that's when it starts to get interesting. The first six weeks are just making sure that nobody's slipping through the cracks or we're not leaving out anybody that we shouldn't continue to watch. But about halfway through the season and on is where this award is earned and then we award it, obviously, to, to the unit that stood out the most and embodied the criteria to the standard that we expect. I love the idea of the 131 on the watch list because, as you've pointed out, this is not limited to 
just the power five schools or whoever's in the top 25 this year. You guys are looking at everybody all the way through when this thing starts. Yeah, you're going to whittle it down to a certain number of, of teams that will end up as the finalists, but everybody starts in the pool of, of teams that are going to be looked at for this award. A couple of years ago, Air Force was the finalist, and, and deservedly so. Steve Lebowski does an incredible job with his guys running off the football. And I think a lot of people you know, look at option football or the academies and think that it's gimmicks. You throw the tape on, it's anything but. It's not cut blocks from the backside. These are drive blocks. These are guys that are coached well. Their landmarks are right. Their hands are inside. They recover extremely well. But the thing that really stood out to them was the way that they accelerated on contact. Their knees were underneath them. They had tight bases, and they were tipping dudes ass over tea kettle on a regular basis. Now, they play in the Mountain West Conference, so that's a little different than when you're comparing them to a Kentucky or to a Georgia or to some of the other schools around the country in Michigan and the Big Ten, who was a two-time winner. You have to take those things into account, but we celebrate the essence of what makes this position what it is, and they were off the charts on technique, on toughness, on consistency, on effort, on finish. It was beautiful to watch. Now, were they good enough at the end to win the award? Probably not, which is why they didn't but they were worth celebrating. Now that Mountain West happens to be a conference I cover for CBS Sports Network, so they were on my radar, but I said, hey, I need to take myself out of this. I sent it to Lance Zierland, who writes all the draft profiles for you know, NFL.com, and his dad was a longtime O-line coach, and I said, hey, watch these guys, and like the text thread we had was like, holy blank, man, these guys are bringing it, and it becomes like O-line porn, right? We just send all these clips to each other, about what we're seeing, and it's beautiful. But to your point, there are no limitations. If you talk to the guys inside the room at Air Force, they don't see themselves as being any different than a Georgia offensive line or a Michigan offensive line. And i got to be honest, when you threw the film on these last couple years, there wasn't a whole lot of difference in what they were doing to their opponents either. So that's why we celebrate them. So when we look at all six aspects of these, some of these become very subjective, even a lot of intangibility to some of them I think they're all there's there's some black and white and some of them there's there's some gray how do some of those especially things that are a little bit more on the intangible side show up on film to you guys what starts to, to bring out all these different aspects that you guys are evaluating I'll say this through seven years the single greatest way to separate yourself and the units that really pop you know that flash is finish. That is a dying art, especially with hurry up, no huddle spread, the up-tempo stuff. It's hard to get downfield and finish. But you throw Georgia's tape on from this year, it's all over the place. They were bludgeoning people. So it's still possible. To me, the units that are coached the best are the ones that can finish. So that's an aspect. That's certainly not the only thing that we look at. But it's so unnatural to do that that it has to be coached into the players. So we take that into consideration. Fundamentals with your hands, like football in our position is one of leverage, up and down leverage with your pad level, inside out leverage with your hands. How quickly can a guy reset his hands? Are they grabbers? You start to see some consistencies in the way the guys uh, exercise their techniques that are tells, if you will. If I'm looking at a unit, and you know, eight of 
their 10 hands are inside every single play. I know that that's something that they rep, and I know that that's something that they drill. You'd be surprised how many coaches let stuff like that go. And as you know in the coaching world, you're either coaching it or you're allowing it. What you put on tape is who you are as a unit, and it's who you are as a coach largely. So you start to look for the little things, the details, the stance, the alignment. Is it consistent? Do they move the same? Now, you obviously, there's you have to take into consideration who the backs are, who the quarterbacks are, who the individual players are, what their limitations are athletically, but the finish is a critical piece of it. So Lance has, you know, brought some things to the table, and I love the way that he describes Lance Zierland now, uh, describes a block. He said, when I'm evaluating in the scouting world and I'm looking at individual players, to me I see three phases of a block. There's the initial contact power, there's the middle phase, which is the sustain, and then there's the finish. That for an offensive lineman to be successful, you've got to win two of those three phases. And it was such a simple way to look at it, and it overlaid perfectly with the way the coach Moore taught it because sometimes you come off the ball, and if you're blocking a Bryant Young like I was doing, who just went in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in college, he didn't feel like getting blocked. So it would be a stalemate, and it would start out there, but as I accelerated my feet on contact right at the point that he started to let up because he wanted to make a tackle, that's where I was able to get the rare pancake or to be able to put enough pressure on him where the arm tackle wouldn't bring down a Jerome Bettis or a Lee Beckton and some of the great backs that we had, Reggie and Tony Books and Ricky Waters and those sort of things. So, again, the film is what allows us to see that. And it's those little details. How do they respond after they've had some struggle in the fourth quarter and got to have it moments? Are they calling runs? Are they successful on those runs? Those can tell us a lot about how coaching staffs view their offensive line units, depending on what they do situationally. We saw great examples of what Philadelphia thought about their offensive line in the Super Bowl and all those quarterback sneak situations. That was among the most beautiful things I had ever seen. So those are just some of the, the details and the technicalities of what we look at. And it's hard. You mentioned the word subjective, and I, I, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we have because Air Force and Georgia and Michigan and Clemson and Ohio State are running very different styles of offenses. And there are some consistencies, so you have to try to find ways to create an apples to apples comparison. And it's not easy because at the end of the day, Keith, we're just a bunch of fat guys trying to pick <laughs> our favorite flavor of ice cream. And they're all pretty dang delicious. In looking at that, we mentioned the different styles of play, whether that be an air raid team or an option team, but there's also then different methodologies to how people are blocking today, whether that's the different ways that a team might use to set in pass pro or how they they use their hands in the punt, some coming from underneath and using the double under as an example, some with more of the traditional punch. When you look at those kinds of things, what makes things standardized for the way you guys are saying, okay, we're definitely looking at technique, but they do it differently than these guys over here. Maybe they're running the exact same play. Maybe it's a wide zone play but two distinctly different techniques that are using it and maybe both effective. So for you guys, what starts to, again, break those teams apart as to who's better than the other? Yeah, that's a great question there and, and something we encounter a lot. Uh, at the end of the day, 
the first question I think we all look for as voters is, is this team winning because of their offensive line or despite them? And that's a real big separator that once those units get kicked into those buckets or kind of inform how we're looking at it, it becomes obvious about the role that that unit is playing for that offense and for that entire team. Does it look familiar is another question that, that guys ask. The double under, the double punch, the wide zone, just kind of covering guys up. You have to filter through all those things. At the end of the day, did you do your job? Did you keep the defender in your hat between the ball carry and the defender, whether it's a quarterback or a running back? Did you do your job? And then you evaluate how you do your job. And that's one of the things that's really important. And as much as data analytics has informed our game, we were looking to see if we could figure out a way to create a QBR for fat guys. Is there a way that we could create an objective way to evaluate lines? And what we found was the answer simply put was no, because data captures results. It doesn't capture process. And offensive line play is a hugely process-driven position. It's not just about what you do. It's about how you do what you do. And I think when we're evaluating film, that takes care of itself because is the finish there? Is the physicality there? Is there some punishment that wants to take place there? Do they, do they take stuff from the opponent and get pushed and let it go, or do they come back and have that chip on the shoulder? There's some things that we watch after the tackle that's been made that help to inform what we're evaluating as well, and all those things kind of help to level set the variation in technique because there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat, and there's a lot of different ways that work. We watch that every season in our sport, so we don't necessarily have a preferred way to do it, but as we've also seen over the seven years, there's some things that stand out, and the cream that rises to the top does it with physicality. They do it through playing with one set of eyes where they're working together, and they are a dominant force that leads their teams to victory consistently, and that's what we saw with this year's finalists in Georgia and Michigan. They were the reasons those teams offensively were being as successful as they were, and Michigan ended up taking it home, and that took a lot of heat because I'm the public person about Georgia, but it was the difference was five votes. It was neck and neck, the closest vote we've ever had. That's why it's hard to be able to separate it out, and that's where the subjectivity comes in. And it makes it really challenging because either of those units, candidly, deserve to win the award this year. They had outstanding seasons, and as it proved out with Georgia, they finished stronger than maybe Michigan did. But the voting is the way that it is. All 131 O-line coaches get sent to vote. There's a legacy group of about 80 committee members that are former players, coaches, and colleagues, guys like Jackie Sherrill, that vote, and then the 13 core committee members. And out of that pool of almost 200, the difference was five, and Michigan just edged out a very deserving, well-coached Georgia O-line this year. I'm sure as the sample size becomes greater, you could probably add more to this the, the answer to this next question, but looking at the winners you've had so far and the offensive line coaches, what are some of the common traits that you are seeing out of those guys who are leading these units and teaching these guys? Detail-oriented. They don't let stuff slide. If a guy's not doing something right, they don't go on to the next guy and keep going because you start to reinforce the bad habits. Technique, 
and the adherence to those minute details are what I see when I go to campuses, when I'm, you know, at practice during springs around the country watching these things. It's the attention to detail. It's the level of standard that is set across the board. You can tell a lot about offensive lines after practice. Do they come into the training table in groups of two or three, or are they 12, 15 deep? The better coaches ensure that those guys are hanging out together and they have that natural chemistry. I think we sometimes try to get too cute and reinvent the wheel to find new ways to get this new age of kid to understand what needs to get done. But when I watch the better offensive line coaches around the country, there's an element of toughness, of teamwork, and of physicality along with solid techniques that's based in fundamentals that exist that helps those units separate themselves out. And again, Keith, this is, I know I'm at the risk of oversimplifying what the process is, but again, we started this whole conversation with a belief in the basics. It's still a sport of blocking and tackling. And underneath that is the adherence to fundamentals. And that becomes harder and harder with the restrictions that coaches on all levels have with being able to develop their players. So the good ones that become great ones and have consistent track records, what I see is the details. And I see that both at practice and when I'm watching tape of them playing in the games during the season. I know you guys within this process of everything you've put together around the Joe Moore Award have the Joe Moore Award O-line unit credo. Talk to us about why you put that together and what that means to you. Yeah, thank you for that. Early on, I mean, there's no roadmap to creating the first ever group or unit award in college football and certainly one for our position. So there was no roadmap. There was no playbook. We were starting from scratch. We had taken off and we were building the airplane in the air. And a dear friend who since passed away, Jack Sixerman, was our creative and he was brilliant. And he felt that we needed a North Star. And every time we would talk about Coach Moore, there would be some football stuff, but there would be these intangibles about how he developed us as men, how he helped us grow, how he developed our resilience and created our belief in ourselves where we could push through our limited perceptions of what we were capable of. So there was this element of intangibility that was underneath it that was about character development and was about being a good person, a good human being and what Joe was really about. He wanted us to be successful as people, and he used our position to teach us ways to do that. So that's really what the credo is about. And with your permission, I'll now read it because it really sums up the intent of this award is, and it, it gets me every time, especially since Jack is no longer with us. But it really is a credo for our position on any level Anybody that's played the sport will recognize and resonate what these words were intended to do. Teamwork. It's what defines football as a sport, and it is displayed in its greatest glory and its most profound necessity in the play of the offensive line. For it is there that individual achievement only matters if the entire unit is performing. When we execute together, great things happen. But if one player missteps, the rest of the team pays the price. That idea, along with hard work and the willingness to strive to be your best, embodies what Coach Joe Moore instilled in his players. But it's about more than football. 
It's about how we live our lives, how we contribute to society, how we participate in the realization of great things. Teamwork is a bond. It's a promise. And it's a commitment to put the greater good above ourselves. It's the greatest form of individual achievement because it requires total sacrifice of focus, of effort, of ego. The road to success requires an unwavering commitment to purpose that creates an unbreakable bond between each of us. And it makes that success one of the greatest achievements on the planet. I am because of us. Man, that's... That's that's a powerful piece there in what you put together. And I really love how this goes way beyond football. And honestly, when you look at everything our society is, is dealing with and, and the chaos really that we've been dealing with over the last few years, we need more of this. And we need these types of, of leaders in our society, guys who can take what they've done in this game and do something with it beyond football. Yeah, amen, brother. You want to know who Joe Moore was? Great coaches are great teachers. And there was a week my sophomore year where we didn't play very well. I think we only rushed for 250 yards against Stanford, and Coach Moore was pissed. So when we went in to watch film on that Wednesday, he said, "Uh uh-uh, we're going out to the field. Grab your pads, tape your neck, tape your knees, tape everything you've got because you're going to need it. And we were like, uh-oh, this was unprecedented. We had never seen it. So we get out to the indoor facility, and there's about 20 defensive players there, mostly D linemen and a couple linebackers. So he had gone to the trouble to get the scouting guys a full two hours before practice. Special teams aren't out there. None of the trainers are out there. It's just us. And we proceeded to do base blocks, about 20, 30 reps apiece, and did about two or three sets of that. Lindsey Knapp was left tackle. He went first, and it was like he started throwing up by the time that he got done. I was second, and Tim Ruddy. And what we did, and this is the ridiculousness, but also the genius of Coach Moore, we had a three technique, so a guy on one shoulder, one technique, a guy on another shoulder, and four-point stances that were instructed that when the ball was snapped or the whistle was blown, to dive straight at the ground, and a linebacker, a third player, who was telling us to push our heads down to keep us to try to keep our our heads up so you can imagine the ridiculousness of this as you're trying to base block basically three people we were getting driven back you know four five six yards tim ruddy at once still made it a couple times and we still think he was superman however the hell he was able to do it but coach moore's thing was if you don't want to block on saturday we're going to block on tuesday we're going to block on wednesday we're going to block on thursday so this goes on so it comes down to about the third time for me. And Coach Moore said, Taylor, you give me five good ones, you're done. And I gave him everything I had. I even threw in the little bit of the, uh, 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 you know, the whiny stuff that you do to, to make sure that the coach knows you're giving everything you had. And I'd get done with the fives, and I'd look back up at him, and with a straight face, he'd say, five more. And I'd give him everything I had just thinking all he wants to see is effort and if I just go all out he's gonna let me go (laughs) I look at five more so this goes on you know through my 20 or 30 to finish and then we start practice and we all still talk about that practice and that moment as being the single greatest 
time of fatigue and challenge we had ever experienced in our life. So fast forward two years after that practice, there was this rite of passage where Coach Moore would take you out to burgers and beers. And for those familiar, we went to CJ's in South Bend, which is a, a very popular and traditional spot. And he said, hey, Taylor, you remember that day we did the toughness drill? <laughs> where it's three on one, three guys against you guys? <laughs> it's like, you know why I did that? And I was like, because you're a bleepity bleep bleep bleep. <laughs> and we started having, you know, this laugh. He said, and it was a rare moment for him to kind of, take it from being fun to get kind of serious. And this is where like the spirit of where the credo came from and who he really was came through. And I get choked up every time I tell this story. So my apologies in advance. He said, you remember when I would tell you to do five more and you'd give me everything you had and you'd look at me with those puppy dog eyes and I'd say five more and you'd get up and you'd do another five more and another five more. Do you remember that? I'm like, yeah, I remember that. He said, the reason I did that is because I wanted you to know that late in the fourth quarter, when we needed a first down and we called a run behind you and you were tired, but we needed it, you would know that you had five more in you. And I wanted you to know that after you left here and got to the NFL and maybe things didn't go your way and maybe you got hurt or your career gets cut short, you would always know that you had five more in you. That as a parent, as a father, as a son, as an employee, when life is against you, Taylor, I wanted you to know that you always had five more in you. And I blew out both my knees my first two years in the NFL. And it was devastating. But that moment, that day, that intention for him to hold that standard taught me that I had five more in me. That's who Joe Moore was. That's what this award was created to celebrate, was that resilience. Like Howard Mudd said, I, I need my lineman to be tough, which is how much pain and punishment you can inflict on your opponent. But I also need them to be resilient, which is about how much pain and punishment you can endure. My job as a coach is to raise that level of resilience so you have no breaking point. And Coach Moore taught me that that day, and I didn't even know it. And if I'm honest with myself, that's why I worked so damn hard for this, to celebrate him and other men like him and the players underneath those men, because that's what our position represents. Football is the greatest sport on the planet, and the offensive line position is the consummate team position within that sport. And humbly... I think that's worth celebrating, and we're doing our best. That's powerful. Thank you for sharing that story. It certainly, I think, really crystallizes exactly why you did this, why you've put this together, and what this means, and I think will continue to mean for the game. Really, it's you know just in its beginning here, seven seven winners, but I think, uh, wow. The, the power behind this, I think, is in, incredible, right? That this goes beyond the game. And when you've put this together, there was one other aspect of it I want to make sure our listeners know about here is that also there's a foundation behind us, the Foundation for Teamwork, which is a nonprofit that you've put together as well to foster all the essential aspects of teamwork. Yeah, the foundation, our 501c3 is the foundation for teamwork, right? It's teamwork fosters all, all great societal endeavors. You stop and think about 
how this country was built, all great things that happened. It's people working together. So our beneficiaries primarily is an organization called Aflife, which is a foundation in and of itself, which creates pathways to hope for kids that have a ton of uh, potential but are underserved. So they create pathways to hope by putting coaches in the classroom, academic coaches in the classroom, and leverage student-athletes' affinity for sports and teamwork and competition and accountability. And we've significantly increased on the college rates, attendance, and GPA rates uh, all over the country. Over 100,000 kids have been served. Over a million dollars has been granted to these programs. And we're trying to change the world one little bit at a time. But we can partner up and, and use teamwork to tackle all sorts of endeavors. So the umbrella is big. We're focused on education initially, but we'd love to team up with other organizations to try to improve this country that we live in, our societies, and just be good teammates to humanity. I mean, it's a corny way to maybe describe it, but at the essence of what our intention is, that's the real deal. Two other things I want to talk about here and make sure we recognize before we wrap this up. Number one, this actual physical trophy. I mean, it's a work of art. What was the inspiration for this, the imagery, I guess, of where this came from? And tell us a little bit about that, how this was created and who created it. Again, creating, you know, building the airplane in the air, having no idea what it would need it to be. I just, I literally did a Google search for, you know, offensive line pictures and just looked through thousands and thousands and thousands of images. And I would clip the ones that stopped me for whatever reason. I didn't even know. I didn't see any, you know, uh, connection between them. I just started dropping them in a file with the intent to go back later and start looking at what it was, what the commonalities were. And what I saw was people in a pack being together, like the entire unit. And there was a picture that I saw with these guys in gold helmets and blue jerseys with white stripes on them. And they were clearly walking out to practice. And some of them had pads, some of them had knee braces on, but they were moving as a unit. And that became kind of the the North star of what the inspiration for the design would be. So then I got with Jack Sixam and again, you know, our creative on this and started looking at different things. I then went out in my front yard Keith, and had my wife take pictures of me at various stages, getting into my stance at all five positions from the front, from the back, from the side. And then I pulled the pictures that I, I felt kind of best represented this moment. As we're walking up to the line of scrimmage, we're scanning the defense. We're you know, trying to identify who Mike is and where he's going to be. And we felt it was important to have movement in it. So that kind of became what the, the, the goal was, was to create what you now see. But we needed actual football players, not me in my front yard with my now chicken legs. We needed real dudes to do it. So I called up Harry Heastan, and he said, I'll give you seven minutes before our first padded practice in 2015 at Culver Military Academy. I was busy with my own college football stuff, so I sent Jack and a photographer, and they went and they took pictures of the starting Notre Dame offensive line in 2015 in the same way that I did. All five positions and, you know, from the front, from the back, from the side. So what most people may not know is that the left tackle that's pointing is Ronnie Stanley. 
Nick Martin is in that picture. Quentin Nelson is one of the figurines that we used for the guards. They literally, we have the pictures, and at some point I need to get those on the website so that we could show the making of the award because that's a whole nother right. story, how that came to be and, and all the mountains that had to get moved to be able to create and fabricate a trophy in under 200 days. It, it's never happened in the 80 combined years of the trophy artist Jerry McKenna and the foundry down in San Antonio. They had never moved a project that fast. But, yeah, there's some deep history. And when you look at the logo, it makes an M. The center's the lowest as he's going for the ball. The guards are starting to get in their stance, mm-hmm. and the tackles are it. standing up. But when you look at it, and that was intentional for the more. That's the more moment, if you will, right before that ball snap. And when I think back in my own career, that was when the blood got flowing the most and the excitement was there. And I'm getting tingles as I just talk about thinking about breaking the huddle with your back turning around. There's the defense as you're walking to the line of scrimmage. All the practice, all the film, all the drills, all the repetition. But now it was go time. And that's what we wanted to capture on the, the trophy. And it's pretty stunning when you see it in, in person. And I think that we uh, we hit the mark. Yeah, definitely. Excellent job on that. And you, you brought up Coach Heastan. And the other piece that you've put together recently is the Joe Moore Offensive Line University, a course that's been put together on CoachTube. And I think this is a great piece if you're a coach. I think it provides a ton of value to you. I'm thinking if I was coaching an offensive line right now, this would be something I'd be using right now, spring ball, off season, to really start to educate my offensive line more on all these things that you've put together. But what an incredible resource over three hours of content in that a PDF, a manual that goes along with it. So talk to us a little bit more about this Joe Moore Offensive Line University. Yeah, we, we called it the Moore Method in, in O-Line University. And it's three and a half hours of edited content with a 99-page workbook that is everything you could possibly imagine having for the offensive line position. And the intention was a couple things. One was to preserve these tips, techniques, and methodology of coaching the offensive line. So that workbook has detailed illustrations of drills, techniques, notes, points of emphasis, O-line evaluation sheets to help coaches you know, know what to look for and how to evaluate a player and what he can do and what he can't do, dance and alignment, takeoff and target, eight-plus variations of leverage drills, and we talk about the things that most people get wrong, both on the leverage drill and on mirror dodge. There's 10-plus run drills and techniques that are specifically usable with and without pads, zone, gap, back blocks, base blocks, both play side and backside drive blocks, detailed coaching points throughout. There's 20 pages of handwritten notes from Harry Heastand when he met with Coach Moore, when he met with Bad Rad, Dan Radakovich, who was the inventor of, you know, the two-handed punch at Pittsburgh and coached all those guys, you know, multiple pages about how to, to create coaching points for solutions to fix the most common problems that we see and some that aren't necessarily as common. There's a bunch of stuff on center, position-specific drills and techniques the stance and exchange, both gun and under center. It's an incredible wealth of information. And we were joking around at the onset. I said, I want to create something that my wife could take 
and have a pretty good shot at at least knowing what to do and having a halfway decent offensive line. <laughs> so if she could do it, and it could be valuable to her, but we also need to create something for the seasoned coach, for the player who's at the next level, who wants to go to college and already is a pretty good player. We want to layer enough difference-making details in there to help separate the good from the great. And when you look at Harry Heastan's track record and the players that he coached, that's the Olin Cruces. That's the Zach Martins. Those are the Ronnie Stanleys and the Quentin Nelsons and the Mike McGlinchies using the same methodology that worked for dad, you know, bad rad back in the seventies with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So as much as this game has changed, it stayed the same. And this methodology is a timeless approach to how to play our position at the highest of levels. And these guys track record supports that. I'll put the link to that one in the show notes as well as the link to your website. A lot of great information there, especially all the aspects we talked about here today. And I'm looking forward to more conversations about this with with some of the guys you've lined up to be on the podcast. And I think we're going to dig into this even further. But thank you so much for sharing all you did today and for taking the time to tell us all about the Joe Moore Award here on the podcast. It's my pleasure, Keith, and I, I want to say thank you to you and a, a big, you know, vote of appreciation for what you do for our sport. You know, great coaches are great teachers, and you've got some phenomenal assets and resources with this, you know, platform that you've created. So we're honored to be a part of that. But football's the greatest sport on the planet. It teaches us things that we just can't learn any other way as young men, as players, and as coaches. So. I just want to say thank you for giving us an opportunity to be a small part of that. And I think the listeners and the people that sign up for the course, either on demand or at the certification course, will very much be happy with the decision they made. It's, in our opinion, the most comprehensive look at the details of what it takes to be successful. It's certainly not the only way, but it's a way that over 40 or 50 years has proven to be consistent and the output that it provides.